be able to give a shout out to Bishop and just wish him. You guys, he's not inside here yet, but he's going to be 50 in just a couple days. Yeah. So, um, oh, here he comes. So don't say anything about that um, or do. Uh, so, big five oh. Happy birthday, Bishop. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't hear that, though. So we're good. Um, he's half a century old. Half a century. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And for his birthday, he's given everybody $50 each. You didn't hear that from me if he denies it. Okay. All right. Can we take that off the recording real quick? I'd appreciate that. No. All right. So John chapter 1 and John chapter 2. And uh, i got a couple verses here that we'll read. Um, John chapter 2. Let's see. We'll, we'll start out. John chapter 2. It says in there, verse 6. It says, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Two or three firkins apiece. Um, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak into our lives. God, let your word go forth. Let it cleanse us. Let it shape us and mold us. God, we want to be more like you. We want to see you, God, for how you want us to see you and and be what it is that you want us to be and and be your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, I was going to read a few more verses in John chapter 1, but I kind of want to Go ahead and just mention a little bit here about this story in John chapter 2 before we jump to the verses in John chapter 1. Um, But in John chapter 2, Jesus has just gathered some disciples, and they're with him, and he's up in Galilee, and he's invited to a wedding, and he brings his disciples with him, and they're sitting there at the wedding, and verse 3 says, and when, they had wanted wine, the, uh, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith to him, they have no wine. Now a wedding would have been like a week long, like seven days. My wedding was just part of one day. And I have to be honest with you, when I was sitting downstairs, we had the reception downstairs, I was like, I'm ready to be done with this reception. Now I appreciated everybody that came. Thank you for coming. But at that time, I was like, and I have a headache, and I'm ready to go and just carry my wife off, and we're going to pack up, and we're going to head out, and, and we're, I'm ready to start this thing called marriage. So seven days is an awful long time for a wedding. I, I was just in Puerto Rico recently, and uh, there was a, a Jewish wedding that occurred in the hotel I was in, and it lasted three days. And I thought, oh, man. <laughs> He had to come up with a lot of things for three days. And then I wondered if the gentleman there had to pay, or his parents, or somebody, her parents, I'm not sure who, paid for everything. I wondered how, how that cost worked out for all those people to fly in because they weren't from Puerto Rico. And the hotel was full. Seven days. So they're into this wedding this week, and there's a little embarrassing situation that occurs. Now understand that they're not out of food. People aren't going to die here. There, there isn't people that are sick here. There's not somebody that's like, hey, uh, uh, if you don't heal them, they're going to die. This isn't the feeding of the 5,000. This is social embarrassment. And Jesus 
isn't, it isn't time yet for His full glory. It's not the cross. It's not the, there's an there's a unfolding that's going to occur here as Jesus is becoming known to His disciples and to the world. And His mom says, they have no wine. we got a social embarrassment here. They're out. Interesting thing on, on wine, and I'm not a connoisseur of wine, but uh, when we talk wine here first off, don't think that these people are going off to get drunk. Um, it's just that uh, water wasn't always the greatest thing to itself to drink. Uh, there was always some level of fermentation, but it doesn't mean that you were going to drink their wine and you were going to get drunk. Um, and they would add water to it and get different dilutions, and, and that's as much as I'll talk about it today. But it isn't the same thing as when you think of somebody goes to the store today and, and they go and get wine. Um, and so she says to him, they have no wine. And he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And, and this passage, we can look at it a variety of ways. And sometimes people are like, man, he was awful rude to his mom. Commentators, they don't think that necessarily he was all so terribly rude to her. Um, and sometimes they'll look and we can look and we can say, okay, he's saying, hey, why am I doing a miracle now? Or even in light of, we're talking about something, they, have, they need wine here. This isn't the big issue of the day. Um, it's not, not such a big item. But, but nevertheless, she goes ahead and she tells the servants here, whatever he saith to do, do it. And he tells them, or he says, And there were six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, two or three firkins apiece. There was approximately 120 to 150 gallons of pots sitting there. All told together, there would have been like 120 gallons of water to put in these six pots. And Jesus tells them, he says, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. The other thing I'll highlight here, and then we'll come back to this passage, but it says the purifying of the Jews, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. What was this water even for? Why, why did they have these pots there? And, and these pots were there, they were obviously way bigger than this, but these pots were there because it was probably to either wash their hands, the people that were coming to the feast or the wedding, to, to wash pots and pans. Maybe they would have even taken the water and, and depending on the, the local custom there and what they were good with and used that for some of their baths and some things that they would have put together for purifying. And you can look in other passages in the Bible and see how uh, um, they would make sure to wash their hands before eating and after eating and make sure all cups and pots were washed. So they needed water for purifying. That was the purpose of those pots. And you can see those water pots were empty. They had already been used. And so today I would like to talk to you about mistaken identity. Mistaken identity. And we will come back at the end of this to the water pots. But as we flip over to John chapter 1, and, and, and I love this passage, and um, it, it's, every time it grips me, and I could just spend time each time reading this, but it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. When, G 
When John wrote this passage speaking of Jesus Christ, he comes, in, he comes into this Greek world and this Greek culture and he lets them know, hey, that, that logos and that word, oh, it wasn't just something that just came from God, but it is God. And he pulls it all back in and pulls it all together for them to see and, and, and lets them know that, that in the, all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then he tells them, and the darkness could not overcome it. Oh, the darkness couldn't overcome Jesus Christ. And, and I do want to encourage somebody today that it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing's too hard for God. But then we see that he was in the world, verse 10, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 11, and he came unto his own, and his own received him not. When Jesus came into the world and he connected with people, they saw him in so many cases just as a man. His, his, his brothers, his family, uh, um, not his mom, of course, but, uh, and not his dad, but, but everyone else, he's, he's just a person. He's just a carpenter's son. He's, he's, this is who we think He is. And, and many of him knew, knew Him personally, grew up with Him. Isn't He the carpenter's son? Isn't He from Nazareth? How, uh, um, we're going to touch on Nicodemus here. How can anything good come from Nazareth? And who, who is, who's this guy? And, and Jesus comes along and they don't see Him the way John introduced Him. They don't understand that He's the Creator. They, they have a mistaken identity. They think they know who Jesus is. Ah! But they don't really know who He is. Oh, when, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, what was he saying? Oh, I, I know who you are. You know, we've been with you, but, but I'm having a little mind explosion here. I, I, I'm starting to see who you are. Hear me. He had walked with him. He had witnessed the miracles. He had, had seen things unfold. Yet it, Jesus said, it's revelation that you got this. Oh, you can read this word and study this. And there's a lot of scholars out there and they study it and they, they look at it and they provide a lot of insight and, and enlightenment. But revelation comes from God. You, oh, you need to know him, not just know about him. And there's a huge difference. Because somebody will come to you and they'll say, hey, I'll share a fact with you or a tidbit. And, 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 and you'll be like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then they go through a struggle. And then you say, oh, let's pray about it. <laughs> and you pray. And they're touched. And right now I'm thinking of a, a guy. I told my daughter about him right before church. Uh, he's not a Pentecostal guy. He's actually an Anglican guy. He's an author. And, and he's a well-known author. And I was listening to something that somebody had shared with me the other day. And he said, so I was with my cousin. And I was going through a problem. And my, my cousin said, well, let's pray about it. And I began to pray. And he goes, and I spoke in tongues. <laughs> He's like, I was like, what? And I found since then when I'm going through a struggle, I begin to pray. I, I speak in tongues. I'm like, he's an Anglican guy from England and, and well-known. And, and he's like, I, I didn't expect that to happen. 
Why? He got into a spot and it wasn't just the writing about God. It wasn't just studying it. It was about I connected with Him. And it startled Him. And, and he's like, wait a second. What? And, and somebody's saying, so is this for people? And really he goes, well, here was my experience. Oh, there's something different between just knowledge and experience. Mm, the world was made by Him, but they didn't know Him. He came to His own and His own received Him not. They didn't realize who they had. And I want you to really realize who it is that's got you. And when you realize who it is, the God that's got you, you'll begin to get a little different perspective of yourself. Because if God says, I want to live in you, and if God lives in you, then how special does that make you? So stop looking in the mirror and looking at yourself as a loser. Because what are you telling Jesus about Himself when He says, Oh, I love you, and I live in you, and I want to dwell in you, and, I, and, you're, and I'm your God, and you're my people. So stop looking in the mirror with a big L on your forehead and calling yourself a loser. Of all people, my name starts with Lucas, so if I wanted to see an L on my head... Okay, that's a terrible joke. Um, but it doesn't mean it doesn't come to mind when I say L on the forehead. Um, Verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, ah, as many as received him, to them gave he the power, or power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Oh, those that said, okay, I'm yours, I'm yours, I believe. And so we transverse through, through John chapter 1 here, and, and his cousin John, the one that we call John the Baptist or the baptizer, was out preaching. And Jesus come walking by. Verse 35, it says, And again, or in the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the the Lamb of God. You see, John had gotten a revelation and an understanding of who had just walked into his midst. He, 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 he understood who Jesus was. And he looks and he sees him out there. And, and I want you to catch this. Because Jesus, here's the crowd. John's over here preaching and teaching. Ah, you know, this happens in church. And Jesus come walking by. And John's over here. And the disciples are over here. And Jesus is walking by. It doesn't say that Jesus came up on the edge of the crowd and was listening. It just says that Jesus was walking by. You see, that happens in our lives. Jesus did everything intentionally. He, he, he didn't need to walk by John's group, but he did on purpose. And he came walking by, but he was walking. And that language is deliberate. He was, he was not stopping. He kept going. And John called out right away for everyone to hear. The preacher preached and he said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God. Notice right over there, look who's in your midst. And two disciples said, hold on, I've listened to John long enough. He gave me everything I needed to hear. He pointed me to Jesus. But Jesus is here right now, and I need to follow Him. And somebody needs to get a hold of the Word and say, okay, it's for me. And I'm here to follow after Jesus and start following Him. Don't let Him walk on by don't let him pass you by. Oh, mm, you need to begin to start identifying Jesus in your life. Start to share it. Oh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't mean to sound like I'm lifting myself up, but all I have is my own personal testimonies. 
you will be surprised at what happens if you'll just share Jesus. You know Elijah the prophet? He mean, his name means uh, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah the prophet, if you want to translate that passage, where he tells the servant to go tell Ahab, Elijah is here. It's really saying, if you, you could retranslate it, and would say, the Lord, he is God. And you're like, wait a second. So when, in the Hebrew, when he walked in and he spoke, he was either telling him, Elijah's here, or he was saying, I just want you to know, God is God. The Lord, he is God. And that is what Elijah ended up doing on the mountain, is showing to them the Lord, he is God. But what did Elijah do in that moment when he took him to the mountain? He was saying, it's time for us to come out of hiding and to let people know just who God is in our life. And they offered up the sacrifices and it didn't work for them. But then when he called on God, on Yahweh, on Jesus Christ, when he called on Him, he didn't know Him as Jesus yet. But when he called on Him, fire fell and consumed the stone and the waters and the sacrifice and the wood and everything. Showing that God is God. Mm. But we have to start identifying, and that's what Elijah made the servant do, is identify God. And so John identified Jesus Christ. He pointed him out. And, and in my story that I was going to share a moment ago, I, I was in Puerto Rico. We had a big meeting. Um, people from the heads of the power company and some people from the government, and they're all there. And I'm standing back there with this lady, and, and we're just visiting, and I say something about family, and I said, well, I got five kids, and oh, that's wonderful, and I said, and they all love Jesus, just in that moment, I just felt like, oh, I just want to tell her, and they all love Jesus, now I felt nervous, I didn't, it wasn't God said, tell them that they love Jesus, I didn't hear it like that, I just felt kind of this, I just want to tell her they love Jesus, I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, it's okay, what are they going to do, send me home, I get to go home, and they all love Jesus, and the next moment, She's all emotional. She's, keep raising them in Jesus. She's a lady that's high up in the, the, the power company. She's the boss of the people that I'm working with. She's, and all she wants to tell me is keep telling them. Keep lit raising them. Do this. It's the best thing ever. We didn't talk about power in, the, in Puerto Rico. We talked about his power and what it will do in your life. And, 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 and that's all she wanted to talk about. Several weeks later, I believe it was... Uh, when I had to go back after Thanksgiving, I'm in a presentation, and the, the three-star general there, he said, the head of the Army Corps, he says, so what are you doing for us back home? And I'm like, well, you got me working on this project and that project, and I'm nervous, right? And, I, and then I'm like, and I associate pastor at the Church of Omaha, and I have five kids. And they're like, wow, okay. And the meeting ends, and some gentleman high up in FEMA runs over, he's got to catch a plane. And he doesn't come over to say, can you tell me about your presentation? He says, can you tell me about your church? He's like, I, I want to know about this. And, and I had my phone up because I was showing somebody a picture of the family. And I pulled it off the church site. And he says, oh, oh, so are you like evangelical? I said, we're Pentecostal. And he says, I was raised Pentecostal. Oh, hallelujah. But you just need to identify who Jesus is. Just go ahead. It doesn't have to be a long Long sentence. It doesn't need to be a big speech. Just get it out there. I live for Jesus. I live for Jesus. Yesterday, it was a crazy day. And a guy from work says, so can you meet tomorrow for work? I said, no, I preach. 
I, I, he said, well, can you give me an hour? It was yesterday. Uh, can you give me an hour today? I, I buzz in, and he goes, so what are you guys doing? I, he goes, is, it, is this like some sort of quiz bowl, like facts about? I said, they're learning 500 and like 17 scriptures. King James, he goes. St. James, he said. And I, yeah, that's phenomenal. You're instilling the word in them. And for like 10 minutes, he wanted to talk about the Bible and quizzing. And why? Because I could have just said, hey, we're down here in Kansas City. But you need to go ahead and just don't be afraid to share. Put it out there. So I better hurry. I'm going to run out of time. Um, so John here, he identifies Jesus Christ. And these disciples made up their mind. And they begin to follow Jesus. And, they, and Jesus says, what seek ye? What seek ye? Now we don't talk exactly that way. But he says, what are you looking for? I'm going to ask somebody today, what are you looking for? Where are you really at? Because Jesus is asking you. So what is it that you want? Why, why did you leave that group and why are, why are you following me? What are you looking for? What do you seek? Let's just let that settle for a moment. What is it? Where are you at? Jesus asked a lot of questions. You'll find that God asks questions. Adam, where are you? Where are you? And Adam could have been like, you know where I'm at. You see everything. No, no. He's trying to bring out. It's deeper because when God asks you that question, you don't get smart mouth with him. Instead, it pulls into your heart and you feel it. And you want to maybe cover up. You want to hide. Me, me, but something reaches out and says, I want what you got. And these disciples, he says, what, what, what do you seek? And they said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, the one that I want to follow. And they said, master is what they were saying here, which is to say being interpreted, master, where dwellest thou? Or where do you live? Where is it that you're going? Why? Because I want to go to. When they were asking him that question, it wasn't just like, so where do you live at? They were saying, I'm trading. I've listened to John. John's great. Loved it. But you're my master. And I'm here to follow you. So where is it that we're going? And where is it that we're going? But you know what Jesus said? Jesus doesn't come and he says, okay, well, let me just tell you real quick what we got on the plans today. I got about a five-page report here. We simplified it, condensed it down from 70. And this is the plan that we got. He just says, come see. <laughs> he, he didn't say, oh, I live over here on the far side and I'm dwelling there. He says, come see. He invited them to join up with him because that come see was more than just where Jesus was going to sleep for the night. But it was a three and a half year journey and it was more than a three and a half year journey. It was a lifetime for him. Come see. Come see. Oh, I think of the lady at the well when she said, come see a man who told me all I ever did. It's come see. Oh, somebody needs to come and see. All of us need to come see what it is that Jesus wants to show you. It's worth the journey. Hear me. It's worth the journey. Oh, so he's asking you, what is it that you want? And you can tell him, where, where do you want to go? Where, where, where are you taking us, Jesus? And he's saying, come see, come see. And they came and saw where he dwelt. And they didn't just go, oh, 
See, this happens to people. They encounter God, his disciples. Some of them heard sayings and they were too hard for them and they left. But they came, John, Andrew, they came and said, okay, and it says, and they dwelt. You're like, okay, yes, the hour's late, they dwelt. No, that's more significant than that. They didn't just walk in, Sister Nancy, and go, oh, well, two hours ago I wanted to follow you, but eh, nah, nah, we're good. I saw it. All right, we'll catch you. Yeah, maybe we'll see you around sometime. No, they stayed. That language, when you begin to look at their life, it's so representative. I'm here to stay. You know, I encountered you. I'm here to learn more. I don't know everything. When you, you, you committed to this, so don't walk out on it. Keep living it. Keep staying with Jesus. Keep dwelling with Him. Keep, keep, keep residing with Him. Oh, He's worth it. Come see. And they dwelt and abode with Him that day. They stayed. We're here to stay. You know what's exciting? We're going to read all the verses. But what does Andrew do? He then goes out and gets Simon. Simon encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I'm here to change your life. You're going to be Peter. You're Cephas. You're a rock. They go on. Jesus encounters Philip. Now, Philip didn't even ask Jesus, hey, can I follow you? I want to follow you. Philip just got a call. And when Philip got a call, Jesus just said, Philip, follow me. Follow me. And Philip immediately picked up and followed him. See, sometimes it isn't that you were echoing desperation. Sometimes it isn't that you were over there saying, hey, Jesus, I think it's time now. So some of you just want to go ahead and say, Jesus, on my terms, when I come to you and I say, okay, I'm interested in following you, then we'll do it. Someone visits with you about the church and you're like, eh, I'm not ready for that yet. Someone says God's calling you in your life, you're like, eh, I'm not ready for that yet. You want to do it on your terms. But when Jesus comes walking over to you, when he makes a, he personally shows up, just like the, the man that was at the pool, and Jesus come walking in, and, and he walks up to him, and he just says, what is it that you want? And he said, there's no man to put me in the water. Oh, there's something powerful. When the creator of the universe, the God of glory, walks up to you and says, what do you want? Or he says, follow me. Don't say it's not time yet. Don't get out your calendar and flip through it and say, can we try next Tuesday? Don't, don't get out your watch and say, well, uh, you know, the afternoon would be better. Huh. I had an interview. I didn't personally ask this question, but uh, they're like, hey, you like this job? We'd like to interview you. Yeah, can we interview on Friday? Nah, that won't work for me. You know, I would at least say, I would really love to. Uh, maybe not quite with desperation. I might want to see how the job type is. But I might think, yeah, I'd love to. I've got this problem. With the, could we restructure it for you now? Yeah, that won't work for me. You might not get the job. They're going to be like, why did you apply? Why did you want it? When Jesus comes knocking... And he says, follow me. And so Philip followed him. But Philip didn't just follow him. You know what he did? He went and got Nathaniel. And when he got Nathaniel, Nathaniel followed him. And, and, but when he came to Nathaniel, talking 
about mistaken identity. Nathaniel says, Does anything good come from Nazareth? Wait, really? He thought in his mind, This is what, this is not possible. You're telling me about this Jesus. Mm. But somebody that he trusted came and said, You need to come see him. Why? Those, guys, those disciples were standing there listening to John. But when John pointed out Jesus, they suddenly didn't just see him as somebody walking by. But they suddenly said, wait a second. He was identified to us in our life. And I need to pick up and I need to follow after him. And when Philip said, okay, this man walked up to me and said, follow me. And something gripped a hold of me. Something changed me. And Nathaniel, you need to learn about him too. Oh, oh he, he's more than just a carpenter's son. Mistaken identity. Don't see him just for what you would create in your mind. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And so Nathaniel approaches. And Jesus turns and says, I saw you under the fig tree. And in that moment, Philip didn't mistake his identity, but he believed on him. I don't know what it was all so special about the fig tree. I don't know if, if that was some representative thing for Philip or if he went through a struggle under there. It, it, not Philip, but Nathaniel. But it grips me. But he says, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, hear me. Before you ever encountered anybody at this church, before you were ever introduced as you thought to Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, I saw you. Oh, he saw you when you were struggling. Before anybody else knew that you didn't know how to pay the bills, he saw you. Before anybody else knew that you were having an issue in your marriage, he saw you. I want you to see Jesus for who he is. He's your Lord. He's your God. He's calling you. And he's pulling on you. He's pulling on you. I saw you. I saw you. Mistaken identity. See, they mistook the identity of Jesus Christ. But those that believed on him, as many as received him. So we've talked about his identity, and I want you to know you need to share him. Identify him to people. You need to go pull on people. You need to make a determination that you're going to follow him and stay with him. And then I just want to encourage you out of this passage that he sees you. He sees you. The God that sees you. Bishop mentioned that just a couple weeks ago. Right? Or maybe it was a week ago. The God that sees you. But we started out with the water pots. And the water pots, these last 10 minutes here, I saw this passage in a new light the other day. I think it's significant of our lives. You see these big pots, 120 gallons of water. When Jesus came and he visited, this is just on the cusp. You see, he had told Nathaniel that you're going to see the angels ascending and descending. Verse 51, John chapter 1, he saith, And verily I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's significant. One, when you think about Jacob and how Jacob said this is the house of God at Bethel, and he saw, we call it Jacob's ladder, it would have been like a temple. He saw the angels ascending and descending. But 
but it's also significant saying, one, that this is the temple of God. He gave him revelation right there. But then he was letting him know that there's something that's going to unfold. And as we travel through Jesus' ministry and through the book of John, you begin to see an unfolding of who Jesus is all the way to the cross, where he says he's glorified, his time has come. But Jesus here with this water pot miracle, where people didn't necessarily weren't dying to eat, they didn't have all these issues, but they said, hey, they need wine. Jesus doesn't tell the master of the feast who he is. If anything, you could say the master of the feast in some ways is, seems almost representative of Jesus. The servants, they weren't followers of Jesus, but in the case of the story, you could see them almost like disciples because they were obedient to him. That obedience is so important. But when she comes to him, his mom, and she tells him, hey, they need it, and then she says, whatever he says, do, that's a trust and a confidence. And so he told him, go fill those pots. You know what I saw in those pots? I saw a couple things. One, those water pots weren't there to be drinking water. If the water pot could have talked that day and said, my purpose is for purifying People, their hands so they can eat, for purifying pots and pans so you can cook from them. Or I could be used for a, a, um, a purifying bath so, so people could be cleansed. And, and that's my purpose. And someone says, well, I, you're empty now, water pot. I says, yeah, I've been used. The wedding's been going on. Everybody's in there. They don't need me anymore. I fulfilled my purpose. If the water pot could speak, it would say, my identity was for purifying other people. You see, Jesus was coming to purify the world, to purify you, to bring salvation to you. And he does that when you're baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. And the spirit is compared to that wine of the Holy Ghost. When he fills you with his spirit. But in this moment, (laughs) he says those water pots for purifying... Servants, I want you to fill them to the brim. Pastor Trevor, I'm sorry, that's not a five-minute mission. Terry, could you go get me 120 gallons of water? Carry them in here, fill those pots up to the brim. That was a long time sitting at the table if you're Jesus. That's a long time if you're a servant. Think about those servants. They were so obedient. All right, we're going to do it. He was not the master of the feast. But they looked at him, and they, when Mary said whatever, he says, do it. That's like John standing there and says, behold the Lamb of God. When Mary said whatever, he says, do it. Those servants, they didn't say, let me check with my master. They said, all right, let's fill it. When, when, when the preacher says, go ahead and come to the altar. When the scripture pulls on you and says, just reach out and call on God. Don't argue and say, well, why do I need to do this? And why do I need to do that? And why this and that? Just do it. And they began to fill the pots. And they filled them up to the brim. Mm. If there was 150 people at the feast, that was one gallon per person. Good thing it's a... I don't know if they were halfway through the feast, three quarters way through. They filled the pots. And then he told them to draw out and take it to the master. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not... Whence it was. But the servant which drew the water knew, and the governor of feast called the bridegroom, and he saith, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, 
and the wind have well drunk than that which is worse. I'm not a big connoisseur of wine. I said that, right? Not at all, actually. Okay. Don't anybody get worried. But I do know that aged wine is more expensive. The thing that's older is the thing that costs more. And when he says they set out the worst first, then the thing that's vintage is the thing that comes in. Before Abraham was, I am. That's Jesus Christ. And the creator, the one that was before Adam, walks in and says, hey, I have something for you. And they're like, what, what, what changed here? Oh, God showed up on the scene. And he's showing up at, oh, he's showing up at the end. And he wants to change your life. He showed up. And what did, this is the point I want to bring out to you. What did he do with those water pots? See, those servants trusted, and they filled them up, and they were astounded. But those water pots themselves, mistaken identity. See, you may think that you have one purpose, and you may think that you have fulfilled your purpose. But God has stepped in your life. And see, some people mistook his identity, but some of you have mistaken your identity. Because God is placing his purpose on your life, and if I could abuse that word a little bit, he wants to repurpose you. You're not just here for what you think you're here for. But he's like, you were here, water pots, for purifying. But I need you to be filled with my wine. I need to use you to change people's lives. I I've got a new purpose for you. And so if you'll just trust Him today and you'll let Him fill you up with His Spirit, He's going to put you in new direction and new mission. And He took those water pots that day and He, and he turned and, and He told the servants, I want you to fill them. And they suddenly, a water pot that you'd have looked at and said, its mission is complete. It's done with. It's empty now. It's fulfilled its purpose Oh, its purpose that day wasn't over. And if we could go ahead and stand to our feet. What jumped off the page at me here is something that represents every one of these disciples. Peter, you thought you were a fisherman. Nathaniel, you just hung out under a fig tree. Oh, Andrew, John, you were hanging out there with John the Baptist. Oh, you, you thought your life was decided. But I've got greater purpose for you. And I'm going to go ahead and I want to use you. And I want to use you to do things that nobody else may even realize. The master of the feast and, and the bridegroom in this story did not know what Jesus had just done with their purifying pots. I don't know if they would have been grossed out by that or not. I don't know what they would have thought. Maybe they would have been okay with it. But that's not what they intended to use the pots for. But Jesus said, I'm going to use it to, to fill it up with my wine. And God has called you and He wants to use you. And so I don't know what you've mistaken your identity for today. But I want you just to go ahead and close your eyes and raise your hands and look up towards Jesus. And I want you... To be who He says you are. See, earlier we referenced that woman at the well. And that woman at the well, she was viewed by, by everyone as she had had several husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. 
But Jesus told her, the time has now come where people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Jesus was letting her know that He saw purpose in her, that He loved her, and that He cared about her. And He came to visit her with the, the, the mission and the, His calling and give her revelation. And God has called you. And you're not just a water pot. You're His purpose. You're not just already a has-been or used up. You're somebody that God sees into your life and, and He believes in you and He's calling you and in turn you're going to call others. So hear His call. Answer it. Follow Him. Oh, be like Andrew. Be like Philip. Be like Peter. Be like Nathaniel. Be like John. He's passing by. And so at the Church of Omaha today, as we enter into our second half, I want you to just say, God, whatever way you want to use me, I'm yours. Hallelujah, Jesus. Go ahead, give him some love. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody in here today has mistaken their identity. You saw yourself one way. Jesus sees you a different way. And I just want you to get revelation just of who God sees you for. And I want you to embrace it and say, yes, Lord. God bless you. See you back here in 10 minutes.